Welcome to Inside Out. Without prejudice or boundaries, this space is for raw and vulnerable conversations surrounding health, mental well-being, relationships, parenthood, and so much more. Our goal is to deliver a conversation that will educate and empower you through shared experiences told by inspiring and relatable guests. My name is Chris. I'm a wife, mum, and stepmom who is on a personal journey that cultivates a life of alignment and intention. I hope these conversations encourage you to do the same. Let's dive deep into today's episode. Hello and welcome back to Inside Out. It is an absolute pleasure to be catching up with you again today. I hope that you have had a fabulous week and for the mummers that are on week one of school holidays in New South Wales, I hope that you are doing okay. I am sending all of those positive vibes your way. Definitely go for the wine at whatever time you feel you need it or the coffee, either way. But I'm totally with you and I know that school holidays can sometimes be a little bit overwhelming. So I hope that you're making time for yourself as well. Today's guest is Denny Burns. Denny is a woman who wears many hats. She's an Australian model, Pilates trainer, fitness advocate, content creator, and her most recent and exciting hat she wears is mama to her little boy, Geordie. In this episode, Danny shares her journey through being diagnosed with endometriosis, where we discuss not only her experience, but some of the social expectations surrounding women's health um, that are still in the process of changing. And it's something that we really both are quite passionate about bringing to the forefront of conversation. We also delve into the challenges and of course, magical moments Danny has experienced in her season of motherhood including a complicated birth uh, and postpartum recovery where Danny faced her most difficult time in this season. Trigger warning in this episode Danny shares her experience with birth trauma. If you are someone who has experienced birth trauma or any trauma please know this episode may trigger you. I've listed a range of resources for you to connect with if you choose to listen to this episode and it triggers your past experiences please make sure that you go to the show notes and utilize those resources. If you enjoy this episode, I would love if you could take a quick moment to leave a review on the podcast app. This really helps my podcast reach more women who need to hear these conversations just like this one so they can feel supported and less alone in their motherhood journey. Make sure you send me a screenshot also of your review as I do have a little something um, that I'd like to give to you as a thank you. Without further ado, let's dive into today's episode with the beautiful and ever so inspiring Denny. Danny, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. I know we've been trying to tee this up for a little while between mothering and things. So it's so lovely to finally have you here. Oh, thanks so much. Yes, we made it work before my child was five years old. So he's <laughs> five months. So yes, we made it happen after talking about it for so long. <laughs> awesome. I'm excited. So before we dive right into, I guess, your journey through motherhood I'd love to know a bit of a snapshot into your life what it was like before mum life and and yeah a bit about you yeah well um I live on the Gold Coast I wasn't born here I didn't grow up here I'm actually from the Blue Mountains so um yeah west of Sydney and I moved up here well just for a little holiday (laughs) about 12 years ago (laughs) I moved up with a friend and I'd actually just moved back from China randomly enough because I I was doing some modeling in Asia for a while Um, and all my friends had sort of moved away everyone got boyfriends and so I was like you know what me and my other single friend we're going to move to the Gold Coast just to I don't know see see what life's like up there and thought we'd come home after a week but um, then I ended up meeting my now fiance Tim so that was in 2009 (laughs) Um, so we've been together now for 
well, yeah, nearly 12 years, I guess. Um, so, yeah, Gold Coast is now home. I never went back to the mountains. And, yeah, before mum life, gosh, I've always just been such a busy bee. Like I wear many hats. I, do, I try to do things that keep me out of a full-time job um, because I've done the whole corporate gig out of school. It wasn't for me. Um, I didn't like having to ask for permission to have a day off <laughs> to go on holidays. So I'm like, you know what? I don't want to have a nine to five. I just want to rule my life and have a holiday when I feel like it, go to lunch when I feel like it. So yeah, I've always been quite, um, I suppose, entrepreneurial that, you know, that sort of word that I don't like to, to call myself, but I suppose I am because I'm always looking for ways to, yeah, look after myself and um, yeah, su- support myself, support well, now my family and sort of avoid having having a boss. I want to be my own boss on my own terms. So yeah. I've always done things, um, yeah, sort of online businesses. I've had a uh, women's networking event company. I've had, um, you know, I've worked as a fitness trainer for 10 years, working my own hours. So, yeah, I've done it all. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So, you know, like you've just said, you're a woman of many trades. Um, I know when I've done a little research into you before we jumped on this recording, you were a model, Pilates instructor, events planner, fitness professional, influencer, and now mama. What do you feel like is the thing that you felt most drawn to in terms of your career that really aligned with who you are and what supported you to reach your personal goals and why? Um, well, it's funny. Now that I've become a mum, I feel like so many things don't matter that I that I used to do. Uh, I'm not into fitness anymore, funnily enough. So I don't know, just something something ticked. I thought, you know, I don't want to be a fitness trainer. I, I want to be at home with my baby. So I've actually... I'm going down the e-commerce path. Um, I purchased a business actually a few, uh, about a month ago now. I acquired a business that, um, yeah, I'm currently rebranding. It's an e-com store. So I'm excited to be going down a different path. But, yeah, I feel like nothing has really stood out to me that I want to do or be because I feel like there's so many things going on in my life. You know, I'm this advocate for women's health being like, a sufferer of endometriosis for my whole life so there's that part of me and and now this whole new mum thing which I was never really maternal even though I knew I wanted the kids I was never really interested in my friends kids as bad as that sounds like I just I wasn't I wasn't into kids but um now I suddenly am and when my friends have babies I'm like oh my god there's this appreciation um so yeah I feel like something has changed in me so yeah to answer the question um I don't really know what I've been drawn to. I feel like I go through seasons yes. of my life. Yes, um, I love that. Which I thought was a problem. And I thought, what's wrong with me? Why can't you just stick to one thing? You were so erratic. You chop and change and you don't finish projects. But that's just me and I learned to embrace it now. And you know what? This whole e-com thing that I'm going down now with my online store, I'm grateful for that happening at this phase of my life because I can stay at home with my baby um and I'm happy to leave my fitness life behind and all of that I do still teach a couple of Pilates classes a week um because I'll miss my clients and I my boss and I love everyone I work with but um yeah I think we can still have a bit of everything Um, yeah make it work I really resonated with where you said about how things don't seem to matter as much anymore. When you do become a mum, there's so much in your life that seems almost insignificant. I know things like I get really annoyed with social media sometimes. I'm like, ugh 
do I have to? Like I, I love there and I love love it there and the connection there, but sometimes I feel like I'm always on my phone and it's taking me away from my kids and it just seems so insignificant now. Like it's not important at the end of the day. Like what's important is that I'm here with them and really present and I'm really mindful of that at the moment. So is that something that you, you're noticing as well? Oh, 100%. Um, it's funny because I actually had this conversation with Tim and a few of my friends. I, I went off Instagram for about a week last week mm. and I have never been so clear in my head because I just wasn't sucked into that time warp of like scroll, scroll, oh, what are they doing? Oh, are they doing that again? I'm like, why do I care about, <laughs> you know, it's none of my business, like, I guess they're putting it online to make it my business, but I'm like, I don't care what these people are doing, even though they're my friends, but I've I've got my baby sitting here in front of me. So I should be looking at him and spending time with my family rather than just getting stuck in this. Everyone puts on their highlight reel. You never, there's, it's not often. And occasionally like, you know, I know that you've shared some things recently that are quite raw and, emotional and and some conversations that you're wanting to start in your community online to make sure that you're advocating for the things that you you want to bring awareness to like endometriosis and things which we'll talk about in a second um and I'm similar I'm trying to share the truth of motherhood and and not just make it all pretty rainbows and butterflies and unicorns on my page and keep it quite honest but I know that when I'm in that scroll hole I get a little bit lost in the comparison game and I think well they're on this beautiful family holiday or this couple's on their honeymoon and this, you know, people seem to be always doing the things that I'm not and I feel like I'm missing out. And you get that FOMO and you oh, see, like, I'm stuck at home with babies. I'm stuck here. Like, well, no, you, I choose to be here. I want to be here. And if you rephrase that and then put your phone away, it just makes such a big difference in the day. Mm. Like, I, yeah, I've been locking my phone actually on in the cupboard on top of the fridge. So it's actually an effort to go and get it because otherwise you just, when you're sitting playing with kids, you just pick it up, put it down, pick it up, put it down. Yeah. So I yeah. That. Oh, that's so true. Yeah. And I just, my mental health was so good for that last week. But then I, because I do do a bit of influencing for brands and blogging and things like that, yeah. I, I rely on that to get paid <laughs> by brands. So I need to be on it. I need to be replying to people, engaging with, their replies to my stories and I also feel some sort of like responsibility after I do make um, a post such as the endometriosis post or talking about being stressed as a mother. I feel like now that I've put it out there and I've said my big spiel about how I'm struggling, I get sometimes hundreds of comments and I'm like, oh, my God, I just get overwhelmed. Like I have to reply to every single person. Mm. I, I can't get to every message in my inbox because when I do post something that resonates, everyone comes flooding in, oh, I've got endometriosis as well. Who was your surgeon? What were your symptoms? I'm like, oh, my God, like it's just mm. I get overwhelmed. So I'm, maybe I don't post as much as I used to because I feel like if I can't respond, I'd rather not put it out there. Yep. Um, yep. But I do like to refer people on to other Instagram accounts that have really good thorough information sometimes when I can't really support everyone because when you're an emotional support to someone, like, it leaves me feeling drained. So, um, yeah, right, it's kind of I put myself out there, but then I, I feel broken for about a week. <laughs> 
Yeah, I do too. Like sometimes when you put something so open and raw online and you throw it out to the world and then there's an expectation to continue the conversation Mm -hmm. and you put so much energy into all of your responses and making sure that you're writing back to each individual and not making it so like you just automated, it can get really draining and you feel like you don't want to be there anymore at the end of it. So I totally get that. Just uh, digressing into something that you've just touched on, which is endometriosis and that you have suffered with that for a really long time. Can you talk about your experience? Experience and your journey with this yeah well I I basically had it since I was 13 got um, it well I I've had extremely painful periods since about that age and I didn't know what endometriosis was until probably about eight years ago because I was going to doctors all the time as a teenager they put me on the pill really, really young to just, you know, stop all the pain, but it, it didn't stop the pain at all. It maybe minimized it a little bit. Mm. Um, but one of my friends got diagnosed with endo about eight years ago. And I thought, oh God, this sounds horrible, but she has a very, very severe um, endo where it's just taken over her bowel. They've taken out one of her ovaries. Like she has a very, very bad case of it. And I thought, I felt so bad for her. But with my endo, I only get pain during uh, period time. So day one and day two of menstruation is absolute hell on earth, whereas some people get it every few weeks or ovulation time. Like it's it's just different. So I didn't realise I had the same thing that my best friend had. And it wasn't until I actually had my first laparoscopy um, probably about four years ago now, I think, but it was about eight years ago that I'd first heard about it. I thought, I reckon I have this thing that, that she has. Mm. And the surgeon said, yes, you do have it. She, you know, scraped it out and and did everything like that. But my symptoms are still there. The pain was probably worse than ever. Um, But all I had was this diagnosis and nothing could fix it. And I then continued on with life saying constantly to my partner, I, we need to have a baby so I can not get a period for nine months. Or if I can't have a baby, I'm getting my uterus taken out. Like that, that that's not even a joke. Like this is happening. I cannot deal with this anymore. And then we started trying for a baby. Oh, when was it? Oh, I, can't, I can't remember exactly when, but anyway, it took about seven months of trying and still no baby here, still no pregnancy so I went to a surgeon here on the Gold Coast and I said to him, look, I'm ready to have everything taken out. And he said, well, you know, that won't actually stop your endo. You'll still get pain. I said, look, I only get it during period time. So I'm certain that if you take out my insides, I'm not going to feel pain again. And he said, look, how about we do another laparoscopy? I know you want to have a baby. We'll clean everything up, open up your tubes. And two weeks later, I got pregnant. I was like, wow. Thank like I was ecstatic, first of all, for being pregnant, but I was like, yes, no more period for a very long time. Mm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I actually have got a period back since having Geordie, which I was very surprised about because I had this plan of breastfeeding for 12 months. I thought I'm not going to get a period for years. And I am still breastfeeding a little bit. It's died down a lot. Um, So he's mixed fed now, but I got my period back at 13 weeks and there was no pain. I got it four weeks later, no pain. So I'm like praying, is this my secret? Did Jordy having a baby? (laughs) Um, I don't want to say that it's, 
it's definitely fixed it because I might jinx myself, but a lot of people do say that having a baby uh, does get rid of your endo pain, although science says it does not. But I'm just going to go with this. That you had the um, the lat thing before you felt yeah. right. Yeah, the two weeks yeah. before and that could have cleaned it up. Did they? Did the, the surgeon? exactly that surgeon is, is way more well renowned than the first one I had. Okay. So maybe he did a good enough job that he did get it all out anyway. So who knows? I'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. So who is the surgeon? Uh, Doctor Keon. So he's um, K E E O N G. He's a fertility specialist. He works. Um, uh, he works in Monash IVF up here on the Gold Coast at Southport. Is his office. I've sent so many girls to him for a laparoscopy, and my friends who have been struggling to fall pregnant. I said, just go see him. They have the surgery, and quite often, a month or two later, they are pregnant and they're ecstatic. Yeah, he's he. Uh, yeah, amazing, amazing. Other than severe pain, do you experience any other symptoms? Um, just the, a lot of bloating, but that I can deal with. It's, yeah, I don't really get many other symptoms aside from the usual PMS symptoms that girls get anyway mm. leading up to your period. But, uh, no, just the pain is just overbearing. Absolutely. There is no relief, absolutely none. Um, I used to save up all of my codeine from my surgeries to have, uh, on those days and that didn't even touch the sides <laughs> says a lot doesn't it yeah and my sister actually still suffers very very badly um, and that's another reason why she hasn't been able to have a full-time job because like me we would have to explain to our boss oh for two days a, a month we can't come to work because we are absolutely dying in bed and people just don't understand it so no they don't I have <laughs> yeah. an employee that said that she experienced it and experienced the pain and look she was always given the time off we we don't have any issues with that sort of thing but I know and she actually may listen to this episode but I know that I used to be like oh come on like you you do you just got your period I get I get one too I know you're in pain but like can you just come you sit in a chair you're just answering a phone but it's interesting because that's just information I didn't have back then whereas now I've become a lot more aware of what women do experience and I think that it definitely is a conversation that more more people just need to be having an understanding because you can't be empathetic or compassionate to someone if you don't understand Mm. it's really hard to do that especially from an employment perspective where you're you know two days off a month every month when you're hiring someone's kind of like "Mm, probably not you're probably not going to be you know an employee that we can keep on long term because that would be quite frustrating but from a perspective of being a woman and having friends that do experience these pains as well, it's kind of like, well, maybe we should put that into play if women are entitled to that and that being okay. Like, Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not like we're just having a day off to go hang out on the beach. We would absolutely love that. Yes. Um, sometimes even crawling to the shower is is not happening. Um, okay. it's, it's relentless, really. The pain is, is up there. So, yeah, I can definitely uh, empathise with everyone else who deals with it. And I'm glad that it's being talked about more and more. There are even just lots of Instagram accounts now with women just dedicating their lives to talking about it. And every time I see a post, I'm like, oh, my God, I totally get it. Finally, someone is putting into words what I haven't been able to explain to my my friends and my employers for years. Mm. just all come out in the last couple of years being talked about finally and excuse my ignorance but can endo affect and having babies yeah 
Yeah. yeah. So is there different, I guess, levels of, of it and, and how it's impacted or? Um, oh, there is different levels of it. Um, I guess it's hard, it's hard to grade. Bigger than yours or heavier as such, but, you know, you've still got it and you still experience the hardships of it. Yeah, exactly. So, well, the frustrating thing is you can't actually tell if you've got endometriosis through a, a CT scan or, or anything like that. The only way to diagnose is through surgery. So keyhole surgery through, you know, your belly button, your, your pelvic area. And then if you've got it, they're like, okay, we'll do our best to scratch it out there and then. And, and that's it. Like you don't know if it's come back because some people it comes back within three months. Sometimes it comes back within two years. And basically it's just, it's cells that grow where it's not meant to grow to put it in simple terms. So yes, it can clog up your fallopian tubes, which is why people can't get pregnant. So part of the surgery is they might basically clean out that area and then the, um, you know, the swimmers can go straight through and bam, you, you get pregnant. Um, so yeah, it's very complex. But yeah, and I, it's interesting for me. Um, I think that, as you know, that I have two young stepdaughters, age 10 and nine, and they are at that prepubescent stage where things are going to change in the next couple of years with hormones and things. Um, and I think knowing, you know, you reflect now that when you were 13, if you'd had the information or had someone who knew of endometriosis, you would have been aware and maybe been able to be more proactive in terms of getting those, um, I can't pronounce the word, I'm shocking, what's it called, a lap? Laparoscopy, yeah, yeah, or a lap. A lap laparoscopy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, like you could have had that when you were younger. Exactly. It a little bit easier for you long term. Yeah, I know. It's, it's frustrating. I feel like I kind of got robbed. Oh. <laughs> um, missing out on you know, the best part of my life when I was well, not, not really now is the best part of my life. I have a, a gorgeous little boy, yeah. but when you're a teenager and I'm taking days off school, I'm missing out on all the parties. I'm not going on holidays because I am like, yeah, what feels like dying in bed. Oh. I feel like I can't get that back. Mm. Um, and doctors would just, you know, prescribe me the pill and then that would, you know, make me have all these bad side effects. And I was on one pill, Yasmin, which I'm pretty sure is now banned in Australia. Yeah, I was on it. Don't even get me started on Yasmin and the side effects. Um, I was erratic. I was suicidal. I just the mental things going on, even though I had a really great life. No one understood what was going on and neither did I. I said, I'm just so upset all the time, but life is great. I couldn't figure it out. And then I heard that there were all these class actions going on in the US and Canada and the UK about Yasmin, which I'm pretty sure was made by Pfizer or one of the big farmers. And all these people were getting compensated for the exact same symptoms that I was having. And I thought, you are kidding me. I was on this pill for so long. Everything makes sense. And pretty much the day that I stopped taking it, I was human again, I felt back into my own body I wasn't depressed um yeah it was just a surreal thing so that's interesting because I was on that from about 14 and a half of my skin I had severe acne Mm -hmm. and cleared up my skin but in that time I also was diagnosed with depression and was medicated for that separately and then I also gained something like 15 20 kilos now I did work at a bakery and I did so that weight gain I thought was from they have contributed from my choices but I believe maybe what if my choices were being made from being on that yeah yeah well 
go and research Yasmin. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm actually really angry that it's still allowed to be dispensed here in Australia. But. I don't like the pill. I took myself off years ago. It was the best decision I ever made. Like yeah. my hormones just got back realigned. I felt more in balance. Yes, my skin broke out for a couple of months, but once the breakout was gone, nothing but a clean diet and exercise didn't fix and water, yeah. water, water, water. Oh, yeah, just back to basics. So, yeah, um, basically, yes, the doctors had put put me on that to cover up my symptoms and here we are. Turns out I had endo all that time. Yeah, like everything, we still have to deal with with the big stuff when it um, when we take away what was masking it or the band aid, you know. Yeah, yeah. Just diving right into your biggest and most life changing experience, I am sure your beautiful new chapter, the season of motherhood. You lived quite a fast paced, high energy life before motherhood, Denny. Did you always know that you know that you were going to be a mum? I know that you didn't love being around other kids earlier on, but did you know you wanted to be a mum? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah. I always knew I wanted to have uh two kids so i'm happy to have one and it's funny the last sort of week tim and i thought oh jordan's pretty easy could we just have another one now and then they'll both be kind of the same age and go on i did (laughs) well that's what a lot of people have said they said well when your baby's born you know jordy will still be in nappies he'll still be crying i'm like oh yeah maybe i can't do double of that so i I think we're going to wait until after we get married next year so a couple of years gap between the babies. So, mm-hmm. yeah, look, Jesse and Lola are 18 months exactly apart. Yeah. That out to the universe on the Saturday, I said the words out loud and on Tuesday I took a pregnancy test and I was pregnant and it worked out exactly 18 months. And I was like, oops. Oh, my goodness. I won't lie. It's There's really, really, really long, long days. But then on the other side, they're playing together this morning. It was the cutest thing in the world. Like she's laughing at him and he's laughing at her. And I was like, oh, this is why I had you. So you've got a friend forever. Like yeah. closeness in age. Once they're in school, it'll be fine. It's just a season. The rough patch, I think. <laughs> yeah, the first four years of having them at home <laughs> is full on and a full-time job. But um, I just don't know how I would go being mum full-time because I still need my sanity of having a business. And it's just ingrained in me having my own time and the way that I relax is jumping on my laptop and, and doing work. And that's sort of my creative side. Um, yeah. Yeah. And exercise is really important for me and my mental health. Like I'm not doing as much as I used to mm. um, definitely no marathons this year, which is, you know, what I've done every, every year um, ran miles and miles and miles, but you know what? Things have changed, priorities have changed. So I don't have time to go for three-hour runs anymore. Yeah. So just sticking back to basics, my Pilates and trying to put some weight on because I lost a ton of weight after having Geordie. So I feel quite weak and, yeah, just changing things up a bit. Yes, I love that perspective. And that was actually my next question. What was your experience like with pregnancy? Pregnancy was amazing. I... I really, really enjoyed it. I felt vibrant every day. I felt great. It was probably only the last week where I felt extremely huge and was ready to get him out of me. <laughs> but no, I, I loved it. Uh, it. Yeah, I don't know. It just brought out the best in me. I feel like maybe it was because, you know, I wasn't having my period and wasn't having all those symptoms and I was just really enjoying being healthy and yeah, symptom-free, really. Mm, and did you find that you had some fears going into birthing Geordie at all? 
I had no fears at all because I actually did a hypnobirthing course that a few people recommended and it was amazing. And I always envisioned like a water birth and especially when I do have my period pain, my safe place is in the bath and shower. Just water doesn't fully get rid of the pain, but it just makes you feel a little bit safer and sort of like a big hug. And so I thought, you know, water birth is my thing. Um, if I can put up with endo pain, I can push a baby out. No problems because, you know, I felt like that was the absolute pinnacle of, of pain. Mm. Pressure. But, um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't naive in thinking, well, this is going to be the perfect birth. It's going to go to plan because it certainly didn't, but I didn't expect it. The things to happen actually happen. Yeah. So what was your birthing experience like with Geordie? Um, well, my water birth ID went out the window because my waters broke one morning and I didn't go into a natural steady labor. Um, basically, a day and a half went by and the hospital rang me. They're like, are you getting anything yet? And I was getting a few contractions, but nothing was really progressing. So they said, oh, you know, you've got to start thinking about induction because um, your membranes have been ruptured now for almost two days. Infection can start. Baby will start getting distressed. And I was actually reading a book that one of um, my friends who's a birthing and breathing coach, she gave to me and it was um, – it was called Why Induction Matters. So basically it tells you everything. Uh, well, it tells you a lot that I wish I probably now didn't know because I went into it knowing, oh, my God, I've got to have an induction and I've just been reading this book about why you shouldn't and what to expect. So that's when the fear set in because I knew what I was in for. And so I was ringing my hypnobirthing coach and my other breathing friend, Nicola, and I said, what do I do? The doctors want me to be induced. And I'd have, my friends had been induced before and they're like, no, no, it's fine. Like it's not as bad as, as people think, but I just had this fear already of what was going to happen. And I still wanted to go, you know, pain-free, no epidural and all that. But I wish someone had have told me that, yes, go for the epidural. Um, now that you're getting induced, it's all it's all medicalized now anyway. You're not going for that hypnobirth experience. But yeah, basically I decided, yep, I'm gonna have the induction and things moved very quickly. Um, went from yeah, no contractions to very, very intense um, contractions. And what we actually had a meeting a few months later with um, the head of obstetrics, um, patient liaison officer and the head of maternity because we had a few um, complaints about things that happened during the birth. And basically the uh, obstetrician said, we would have expected you to labour for 30 hours or more, but I had Geordie within four hours. So it was... Why did they expect that? Did they give you a reason for that or...? They just said that that is typically what they expect from the moment that you have the oxytocin drip put in or the syntocinin, that it would be a bit of a slow sort of steady process. So I don't really know what happened, um, but it just went from zero to 100 very quickly. Um, I could not get comfortable. All of the hypnobirthing stuff went out the window, the light touch, the TENS machine. I tell you what, the TENS machine would have done absolutely nothing. I was, I was just trying to survive. <laughs> um, 
And then I guess when I was going through the transition stage, that was when I was like, okay, everyone, where is the anaesthetist? I need an epidural right now. I need a cesarean. I remember asking for a cesarean and they're like, darling, his head is coming out. There is no cesarean happening. I was oh, like, oh, oh my God. I <laughs> <laughs> um, really said that every, almost every single mum, once they start crowning, go, get that anaesthetist in here right now because yeah. it's like a common thing for women because we're like, okay, we can't do it. It's too hot. I don't want to do oh, it. <laughs> I, I remember turning back at Tim going, oh, my God, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> and he's like looking mortified going, oh, my God, well, you can't turn back now. Like mm-hmm. it's happening. Anyway, the moment he was pulled out, I was like, oh, it's done. Thank God. But that was just the start of it. Like that was um yes it was very intense and painful but I've already started to forget about the pain it is true that mums forget about the pain of of birth but I guess the actual trauma of the whole experience started after he came out um so I think they had some problems getting the placenta out they finally oh they did the um the shot in the leg I can't remember what the drug is called. Yeah, to I had that as well. Yep. Yeah, so that came out. But then, you know, I had Geordie on my chest. It was all lovely. Got some photos and it's like I instantly forgot, you know, all that hard pushing that I'd just been doing. And then I remember the midwife, you know, she pushed that red button on the wall and I was like, what's going on? And I blinked and there are like 20 people in the room. And I was like, no, guys, I'm fine. Like I, I'm not in pain anymore. It's all good. Anyway, I was hemorrhaging. So blood was spurting, spurting, not spurting, but, you know, it's coming out quite quickly, a bit of an emergency situation. They took Geordie away from me. They sort of ushered Tim to, to the back to, to look after him. And then they started palpating my tummy to get the placenta out. I said, I thought it has just come out. Like I'd never heard of retained placenta I didn't even know this was a thing that it could break away and get stuck inside your uterus after birthing so that was really quite um confronting having a nurse literally with her entire arm elbow deep in my birth canal that was painful they had uh they gave me the gas for that and I was like it's doing nothing like gas does nothing come on guys and then I had another nurse on top of me just like really pushing so hard on my tummy and I think that's the part where my partner Tim was very traumatized because he's like what like what are they doing what on earth we we just didn't know that this was a thing that happened Mm. um anyway they still couldn't get it out so I was just I was over it and I said can I just get put to sleep now like I am over it and and they said well actually we do need to take your theater now and they couldn't put that face mask on me quick enough. So I'd spent probably 30 seconds with my baby, got wheeled off very quickly to theatre. They actually were packing towels inside of me to stop the bleeding, which, you know, I could feel every inch of this because I didn't have the epidural that I wish I bloody got. And I just remember sort of staring off into the, the lights in the theatre going, oh, my God, can this be over, like, put me to sleep. I just want to wake up and, and just not feel any pain. And so anyway, surgery happened. I woke up and I just, I looked and felt like I'd been 
absolutely beaten to death. Yeah. <laughs> um, I had all these blisters all over my mouth from sucking the gas so hard. My tongue was all bleeding. Um, it was intense, but it didn't even stop there because it's kind of a very long story short. They didn't get all the placenta out. So for the next four weeks, I was in pain, so, so much pain. I felt sick. I felt, you know, I felt like I was in antiseptic shock, which I'd never experienced before, but I felt poisoned in my, in my body. Wow. Um, and my partner had to go away and he went to New South Wales. This is, you know, COVID time. So he had to do a hotel quarantine for two weeks. Geordie was 10 days old. So we went and stayed with him for 14 days at Tweed Heads, just over the Queensland border. And every single minute was painful for me. Just, I, I don't even remember that phase of, of having a baby because I was just trying to survive myself because um, I had stitches everywhere as well. Like I tore in four places inside and out. I couldn't sit. I couldn't stand. I, I just couldn't function. <laughs> And one night I said to Tim, I, I need to go to hospital right now. I feel, I feel septic. Like I'd, I've never had that before, but I felt like there was poison in my blood. So we went to Tweed Heads Hospital, which was three minutes down the road. And they said, you have a really bad infection. We're going to pop you on the drip. They said, tomorrow go to your birthing hospital. So I did. They said, no, no, you're fine. I just kept getting dismissed and sent home. And then four weeks after I gave birth to Geordie, I was sitting at home. There was actually a child health nurse with me because she was helping me breastfeed and all that sort of stuff. And I hemorrhaged again. This is a month after giving birth, blood all over my floor, my chair that I was sitting on. And she said, ring an ambulance right now. You, you're hemorrhaging. We can't stop this. Um, and I said, oh, no, it's all right. Tim will, will take me. So... Tim took me to the hospital and by this stage it had sort of clotted itself again but in the bathroom I I let out this huge oh, it, it was almost the size of a football I didn't even know that a blood clot could get that big but it came out of me and then again blood everywhere that's when they took me from emergency up into the maternity ward to um to look after me and they didn't know what was going on no one knew I spent three nights total in hospital, but it wasn't till the second last day that they did an ultrasound and they said, oh, you've still got placenta in you. I said, come on, guys. I've, I've already had surgery four weeks ago straight after birth to remove the placenta and you're telling me that it is still there and it has been basically festering inside of me for four weeks. Like, no wonder I've been feeling like crap. I've presented to emergency twice got sent away twice. It was just pure frustration that all of this could have been avoided. And I feel like I missed that time with my baby. Yeah. And it all makes sense now why, why my breast milk wasn't fully coming in because when you have placenta in you, your body still kind of thinks you have a baby. <laughs> so yeah. the milk doesn't come in. And I just, you know, I don't know if it was the hospital's fault or, or not or if this happens often, but I just... I was really angry that they didn't pick up on it earlier. Rightfully angry. Um, yeah, yeah. So I would say my experience with birth was a very drawn out one. 
<laughs> and it wasn't even the physical birthing of the baby that was traumatic. It was after that and how the, the steps, yeah. that, the actions that were in place that didn't protect you. But most of all, they, they didn't, you're Geordie's mother and they took you away from him in that yeah. time. Yeah. I'm so, so that is horrible. Yeah, it was, it was horrible. And I mean, I'm, I'm yet to meet anyone who's had this same experience because I just, I didn't know it was a thing. Like I was aware of the things that could go wrong, you know, maybe needing an emergency cesarean or the other things that you hear about that, you know, may not go to plan that might happen. But I just, I didn't know what to look out for and that this was actually what could be happening and, and that the, I would explain to them, I'm bleeding. Like I was changing my pad 15 times a day. Oh, that's normal. That's normal. Yet postpartum bleeding. I was like, that's not normal. Oh, and it's not till now that I speak to other doctors and they go, I can't believe they didn't take you seriously. Like, yeah, so, I mean, I really hope that doesn't happen again. It hasn't put me off having a baby. Like we've chatted, I'm, I'm wanting a second one. Will I go cesarean? Maybe, maybe not. But the at the meeting that we had with the hospital because of all this drama, they did say, look, at least you're, you know your body can birth a child. It, it can fit through your pelvis, which is something I never thought I would be able to, to, to do because I'm quite narrow through the hips. Mm. So they did give me confidence that you can do this, but next time we know that maybe you have retained placenta and we can fix that. So I do feel like I am slowly getting over what happened now that I have answers because I didn't know what was going on for those first few months. Mm. Um, yeah, so that's just... Yeah, um, slowly getting over it. And I'm actually reading a book at the moment about birth trauma and I feel, yeah, emotionally I'm, I'm getting there. Yeah, yeah. How's Tim? He's good, yeah. He wasn't okay to start with. He was very, yeah, quite traumatised and angry at the system for, for not knowing what was happening. And from his perspective when they were, you know, taking you away into theatre and he was here with this baby on his own standing there. What, what information was he given? And was he given any information as to what happens now? Uh, he, he kind of knew what was happening, that I was, I was bleeding and I needed to go into theatre ASAP. But we actually had my student midwife who was referred to me through my hypnobirthing teacher. And she's, she's so lovely, Steph, absolutely beautiful. So she was with Tim. So I felt like student midwife as well. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, so if if he didn't have her, I don't know what he would have been told because I feel like there's not much support for the partner. Um, yeah, we definitely didn't experience a very warm sort of experience um, at all in the hospital. So I felt quite sorry for him that, you know, of course Jordan was screaming and he's like, what do I do with this thing? Like his mum's not here. She, he can't, you know, go on her chest and on her breast. So he got taught, you know, put his pinky in his mouth and he, he wouldn't know how to do things like that. Neither would I. Like, I don't know these things. So thank goodness for my student midwife who was with me every step of the way because she helped look after Tim. And ever since then, yeah, Tim and I have actually been quite busy. Like he's gone back to racing, which didn't happen for a whole year of COVID. So I guess we've had distractions that we haven't really had to go back and revisit what happened. but. We do, we do get over things pretty quickly. So yeah. hopefully it's healed. 
Yeah, super resilient. And knowing, you know, you guys obviously seem like you're very emotionally aware and self-aware of what what work needs to be done to heal and to move through these feelings because they're going to come up every now and then, I suppose, especially if something similar were to happen to either of you where you needed to be rushed off, you may feel those triggers come up in the future. And it's awesome that you're both so hyper aware of your emotions that you can go into, okay, well, what can we do to fix this? I'm going to research and understand and, you know, rebuild. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And just being grateful as well, because, um, well, it's interesting because the birth trauma book that I'm reading, the title is more than just a healthy baby, because I did, I was quite reluctant to talk about my experience. Like I haven't shared anything on social media or, or anything about, you know, the conversation we've just had, because I thought I don't feel worthy enough to to talk about my experience because I came home with a healthy baby. Not everyone comes home with a baby that is, well, you know, has a heartbeat or doesn't have any problems going on. Like he hasn't had to be hospitalized in five months. So I would take the bullet for him any day. I will say I'll bear the brunt of that again for another baby, everything that I went through. But I think there is still a place for mums to feel, you know, a bit of what happened just to, you know, you deserve to go through that mourning stage of, of your own um, experience because it, it isn't pleasant but yes I am grateful to have a healthy baby absolutely but yeah I think we're still allowed to feel all these feelings as well and uh, yeah a hundred percent and your your trauma is and feelings are validated regardless of how heavy it weighs I, I shared something recently on my own social media that you know our feelings they deserve to be validated whether yours are by technicality or science seem heavier than mine that doesn't mean that mine aren't validated and mm-hmm. in terms of some women and sadly and heartbreakingly don't get to bring their babies home but that doesn't mean that your trauma isn't mm-hmm. traumatic it doesn't make it any less painful and hard to deal with yeah no, exactly right. speaking of it and speaking about it because the more like awareness and more conversations that us women do share about our experiences in birthing and, and the traumas that we go through surrounding that, the more women that go through it will feel heard and feel seen and feel supported yeah. at the time. Yeah, there is comfort in knowing that someone else has been in your shoes, um, even though you don't wish it upon anyone. But it's the same with the endometriosis as well, because now that there's people talking about it, there's communities, you feel like you are being heard mm. and you're not just that whinging person who always has their period or always taking days off work it's like see I'm not the only one there are millions of us and I'm not making this up so it does there is that comforting feeling of I'm not the only one and you can all have discussions and go oh my god me too yes it feels the same and yeah there's just some sort of community feel about it which is yeah the positive Yeah, 100%. Now, not only that, but we have crazy hormones and emotions are running high for quite some time. How have you been feeling in your postpartum journey? Have you felt that you've experienced any any signs of, you know, the baby blues other outside of this traumatic experience that you went through? I know that you've had some difficulties breastfeeding as well. That's something that I've gone through. Yeah, um, I haven't had any baby blues. I think my experience that I did have put into perspective how grateful I am because as soon as I had that second surgery to remove the retained placenta, um, I just felt me again. And I was like, thank goodness, no more hospital visits. I get to stay at home with my baby all the time. If he's crying all day, no problem. 
because I was just grateful that I could be at home finally, not sitting in a hospital bed. So, and he has actually been a very good baby. Um, I know that a lot of people don't like to say good and bad baby or is he good, is he bad? But I just want to say like he is quite easy compared Mm -hmm. to my other friends' babies. I don't know if he just has this sense that, okay, mum's been to hell and back. I'm just going to sleep for her. I'm going to (laughs) just take any bottle. I'm going to do whatever she says. But he has been quite a dream. My next baby probably won't be like this, but I'm just lapping it up right now. Hey, look, Um, I've I've carried a lot of guilt and held back from saying it, but like, you know, my two-year-old's a handful now, but he was a really cruisy baby, like in terms of didn't barely cried he slept really well and Lola's the same like babies are hard regardless but they're pretty yeah. easy so you could get yeah. two little little legends yeah but I reckon being a boy when he hits two it'll just be like a tornado and I'll be like oh god here it is. okay here it is call me uh, two I'll have all the tips and <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah the first four weeks were hard because he was up all the time all through the night every 45 minutes and I was like what is going on like what do you want I've just fed you go back down to sleep mm-hmm. so that was rough um, but no, he sleeps all through the night now and, but breastfeeding is yeah, a problem. So mm. I think because I had that supply issue early on with stress, hospital visits, placenta still inside of me, the milk never really was flowing yeah. and, um, there wasn't copious amounts of it. Like I had wished. So I did have to start mixed feeding. I remember going to the chemist just crying, going, oh, my God, I'm letting my baby down, but um, I'd rather my baby have a full belly than be starving. So I got over that guilt pretty quickly. Yep. Um, but, yeah, he's now mostly formula fed. I get most of my milk supply overnight. So best time to feed him is, like, in the morning, straight in the boob. So I feel like that's our sort of moment and bonding time. Yes. But throughout the day, yeah, there's just minimal milk in there. So I've tried everything, the motilium from the um, the doctor, what else, the fenugreek, the lactation cookies, the tea, nothing's really working. And I've been on it for about three months. So I'm like, you know what, he's nearly six months. I'm proud that he's at least getting something. Mm, 100%. I'm, I'm in the exact same boat as you, Lola, is exactly the same. She's almost nine months and she only has a feed of a morning now. Um, and honestly, it's been like that for a really long time. We mix, mix fed from the get-go. I just yeah. to Steve, like it, I know from my experience with Jessie, she's going to sleep better. She's going to sleep for longer. And she's just a, a much cruisier baby when they have a full belly. And I don't want to sit in a room and feed when I've got three other kids to look after, sit there for an hour at a time. I don't have that sort of time. So we feed yeah. the bonding sort of thing and for that nurturing and, and closeness. And I love it. Um, yeah. I actually really hated breastfeeding with my son, Jesse, and we only did that for about six, seven weeks. But with Lola, I, I'm still doing it once a day. She's almost nine months, but she's pushing back on it now. She's oh, like, really? Yeah boring and I'm hungry and I'm not getting anything from this get that bottle give me those solids do what you got to do mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I guess I always wanted to like try for 12 months because a lot of my friends are still feeding their babies at you know two and just past two and I thought oh god that's a long time but you know if I can get to 12 months I'll be happy with that but you know what it is what it is some people can't breastfeed from day dot so you just you know we we should be grateful that we live in this day and age where there are good, healthy options for formula, you know? 
yeah. I make sure I buy him the organic one. I don't know if it's, you know, better than the next one, but I feel good that he's he's happy. So yeah. I think it's so important. Like I felt so much shame when I went to bottle feeding Jesse when we stopped, got off the boob, and I was so embarrassed because that's the first question every woman asks you. Are you still breastfeeding? Like that's just the number one query and it's like, no. So there's an automated shame surrounding that. And I almost didn't yeah. want to say that I wasn't. So I'd try and, you know, steer the conversation elsewhere because it was embarrassing. Like I couldn't perform for my kid. But now with with Lola that I've just made sure that I had no shame. And it's like, yeah, I am absolutely still breastfeeding once a day, but that's it. She's also on a bottle and she also does this and also does this. And I'm just trying to shed that fear of judgment from other people, not yeah. take so personally, just People are just curious. They don't mean any hard, you know, hardships with the question. I think they just genuinely are asking about your health and your baby and they want to know if that's something that you're still doing. I don't think they mean yeah. it with it. Yeah, yeah, right. They're probably not judging, but um, I guess we have these expectations on ourselves and we think, oh, what, what answer do they want to hear? Ooh. So, yeah, i just be honest now, say it how it is. Yeah, totally agree. What are some resources, Danny, that you've lent into throughout this postpartum season to stay really proactive in terms of keeping a positive mindset? I know being at home with a baby all day can be quite draining and you can feel a bit overwhelmed or negative in that time. So has there anything that you've been leaning into in that time to help you? Um, I've just really been enjoying doing absolutely nothing. I know that sounds, um, you know, boring, but I, before having Jordan, I just wouldn't chill out on the lounge and do nothing. And I'm like lapping that up now, which, you know, in contrast, some mums might do that all day and hate it and want to go out and do something. But um, my partner, Tim, he's away a lot. Like he's away for sort of two weeks now. So it's just me and Geordie, but I've got, you know, my mum up here, I've got dad, my sister, a lot of family support. But sort of in terms of resources, yeah, I... I actually listen to like a lot of breathing apps. Like I'm not very good at meditating. That's just, mm. it's not my thing. I tried to force it for so long, but I'm like, you know what? Going for a walk with my dog is my meditation. That's you know, clearing my mind. But um, yeah, I actually do like this breathing with my friend Nicola. So Nicola Lay, do you know her? Yeah, yeah. she's been on the podcast and uh, we connected oh, maybe 12, or oh, not 12 months ago, just before Lola was born and we'd done some breath work. She didn't, I didn't have time to do the hypnobirthing, but we did do breath work together before Lola and I used a lot of her techniques in my birthing experience with her. Like you said, I, I was induced, so it all went out the window pretty quick, but I did keep one through, through to the end, one or two of them. Um, but yeah, Nicola is just an incredible human and I use her IGTVs. A yeah, lot. that's what I listen to. Yeah, yeah. Most nights and God, they help, don't they? They do, yeah. And I never thought I'd be into something like that. Yes. Because um, my friend Sarah, she actually took me to her first live event and I thought, oh, I don't really want to go to this breathwork event. What's this going to be all about? A bit woo-woo. Yeah, you know, a bit woo-woo, not for me, but I was addicted I just had this amazing experience and I'm actually going to another one this weekend um, right. up here on the Gold Coast. So I'm really looking forward to that. So just the simple things like breath work and getting outdoors with my dog, that's sort of my go-to for this postpartum period when things do get a little, little bit too much and I just need to get out of the house. And they're just natural ways to take care of yourself, you know, from the inside out and inject that self-care into your day-to-day. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Well, thank you, Denny, so much for all of your time and energy in this chat today. It's been a pleasure chatting to you. 
Well, thank you. And I love that we share the same surname. I know. How cool. There's not many of us around. So it's interesting that we're not related. I wonder if we're like down the line. Like, well, we could be. I haven't, I haven't looked. I'll get on the tree book out or something. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Inside Out. I really want to grow in this space and make sure these stories and experiences are heard. If this episode resonated with you, I would love to hear from you. Please leave me a review and hit subscribe to ensure you don't miss our next conversation. Please also join me on Instagram and let me know what you thought about this episode at Inside Out with Chris. I can't wait to share more with you really soon.